Tuned into the story behind the business podcast brought to you by Agency Media and the Westland Group. I'm Leyland Diano, along with your co-hosts, Joel McDonald and Adam Bessie. Uh, this episode is another great one. I keep saying that they're great, but that's really because every episode has been great. And I'm not just saying that. I listen to them and consume them. Half the fun of these conversations is that we get to sit down with these business people and, and really dive into the story behind either what they're working on or the, the concept of their business and figure out what makes them tick and what uh, their passions and which passions led to creating their business. Uh, in this episode, Adam Bessie sits down with Kathy Press, who is the CEO of Chinook Helicopters, and who was just announced to be one of uh, Canada's most powerful women by WXN in the two- 2019 um, Women's Executive Network. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. It was presented by KPMG uh, in Toronto, and that actually just happened on November 21st, 2019. Uh, Kathy is a brilliant woman. Her company is is a is a very unique and cool company. Um, they're one of the the top. Uh, pilot training companies uh, or, or schools is what they're what they essentially are in the world. Um, they get they get students from all over the world. That's an incredible story. So, anyways, let's not make the intro too long. Here's Adam Bessie chatting with Kathy Press of Chinook Helicopters. And yeah. I tried to not be, um, and and you know what, Angie gave me crap for coming in with the Starbucks and not having other Starbucks. So I'll probably stop by this week with a bunch of Starbucks. That's for okay. You guys. I'm not a coffee drinker. You, so what do you what do you like, what do you drink? Uh, lemon, ginger, turmeric. <laughs> so why why not coffee? Have you ever drank coffee or just with no. that first thing? No, I've never drank. I, I've never really, uh, mom and dad uh, were a little bit on the, uh, not quite hippie, but, you know, sort of. Okay. <laughs> Always on the health food side of things. Tea, though? Uh, no. no, anything with caffeine, either. no. Not at all. No, no, and uh, I was sort of raised on, like I said, on kind of hippie food. So where were you, where were you, uh, where were you born? In Vancouver. So, okay. Yes, yeah. So when you said hippie, I was thinking like in the backwoods of Saskatchewan or no? No, no. no. I would always say well-heeled hippie. Okay. <laughs> so what part, what part of Vancouver did you grow up in? Uh, well, I guess initially mom and dad were from the North Shore. And, uh, and actually, some of my childhood probably relates to some of my comfort level in the business. The very first home that they, were, uh, that they had purchased had 42 keys. It had three bathrooms, and it was boat access only up Indian Arm. Okay. And yep. it was uh, a place that Trudeau had looked at because at the time, this was Pierre Elliott, he was married to Margaret, and they were looking for a place in North Vancouver. So it was this very opulent house that Dad had made an offer on and moved in there when I was a, a baby. And then from that house, we moved to Surrey that had no running water. It had <laughs> an old farmhouse on 20 acres. And then subsequently to Prince George because Dad was worried about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay. And from there, he was going to build a bomb shelter. So I've had very, very, from opulent to very... Uh, non-opulent <laughs> right. surroundings, and it's made me quite flexible. What did What did your parents do? My dad he retired the day I was born, and he had had a float plane charter service okay. in Vancouver Harbor, and so I had both my parents growing up till about twelve years of age, where dad decided he wanted a helicopter to do prospecting for gold, 
And so he went to, in the early 80s, he uh, went to the bank and wanted one aircraft. And three came along and a license to do <laughs> flight training. And so I actually, Dad didn't want to spend extra money, so we went to the, he went to the self-counsel press, gave me the paperwork to fill out the the company documents, so I actually did the first incorporation on the company. How, how old were you? When I was 12. You were 12 and you did yes. the, so how did, how did... I didn't understand the share structure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a little loose on share structure, to be honest. Anyway, I was probably the most useless person in the company growing up through my teenage years. I just tried to be helpful to people. Sure. And on my 16th birthday, I went solo. My 17th, I had both the airplane and helicopter licenses issued. And uh, about 21, I got my fixed wing instructor rating. And about 27, I got my helicopter instructor rating issued. And I, that was my, the, I was the first woman in Canada to get a helicopter instructor rating. Which is, um, I mean, which is a massive achievement. Well, at the time, I was really surprised. I finished the flight test, and the examiner, I said to him, well, how many women are in Canada that have this? And he said, one. And he hadn't told me that I had, had actually passed the test. And I said, oh, well, who is she? And he said, well, it's you. Congratulations. So that's actually how I found out. And, and I thought that there was someone back east or, you know, in Western Canada or a little more segregated. So it turned out, no, I, I was actually at that time the first woman. And today there's probably about five women that have, uh, have commercial uh, instructor ratings. So why, why do you think it's, I mean, and we'll double back I have a couple questions and yeah you can yeah, yeah you can grab us no worries here, I mean sorry. we're pretty laxed here on story behind the business Kathy you can have the phone ringing <laughs> people can come in it's not a big deal okay okay um, great and uh, so no when you first heard the news that you were the and, what, and do you mind me asking what year this was? Uh, 97. So 1997, which boggles my mind that there was no other female instructors. There were pilots, though, right? Like you could... F like. Yes, yes. When I first got my private uh, helicopter license in, it would have been 1987, there were six other uh, female licensed pilots in okay. Canada on the helicopter. But no, but no, uh, no instructors. So, and you didn't know that. I mean, it's not like you. Everybody was googling things the way that that's they do right. Nowadays. Exactly. Yes. And um, really, I didn't put a lot of energy necessarily being a woman in the man's world. I actually just showed up and tried to be helpful and do my thing as through the, through my years of being a teenager. I was obviously aware that there was less women in the business and it made me feel uncomfortable on the radio because everyone knew who you were on the radio because there wasn't too many female voices so at that you, time. So you, if you messed up, people are like, oh, exactly. Kathy's messing up. Yeah, Kathy's <laughs> messing up. Exactly. <laughs> um, so when you found that out, how did you feel? Like, how did you feel? Were you just like, oh, no big deal. Like, this is cool. Or did you tell people like... I think I just thought, oh, it's kind of cool, and, and I just moved on. I, I knew that there was extra pressure because at that time, I knew that uh, there wasn't very many women. I knew that I was young, and I knew I was less experienced than other people uh, around me, male cohorts that were in their, say, 50s at that time, and, and they had prejudgment. And actually, <laughs> I don't tell too many people this, I used to keep a picture of, a, of an accident that had happened with a flight instruction accident in my uh, night room table. And I would look at that periodically when I first started instructing because I was thinking this is motivation. This can't be me. If I have this problem, I will ultimately not have a career and I have to be very, very careful. So that was uh, a little bit something I used for our motivation 
to keep me motivated to do very, very well and careful <laughs> with my activities. So, like when you were an inst- so that yeah, I mean, being a helicopter pilot is a is a is a dangerous job because you have so many things that can go wrong and you have to be aware. And I shouldn't say it's a dangerous yeah, job. It's like you have to be fly safe. You have to know procedures. Being an instructor where you're teaching an inexperienced person, like that's a pretty big weight. Well, I had felt extra pressure, partly because some of the senior instructors at that time not hadn't necessarily been on board with my doing the instructor rating. It was one person in particular in the company that really had pushed for it, and he had done my training and, and sort of mentored me. So to this day, I've really appreciated that, and I see how it is really important for people to get behind that are 20 years you know, downstream of somebody else to, to help them. It, it really does make a difference. And I've tried to look at that myself at this point in time of my life too. So, I mean, you, you said you had hippie, like a hippie lifestyle almost, like with your parents. And your dad be, started buying these planes and helicopters. Did was he an entrepreneur? Like what was Yes, Dad always uh, in you know the food was probably hippie and and he liked his creature comfort. So right, okay. So it was it was not the VW van. Okay. No. It's a helicopter uh, instead of a van. Yes, yes. Um, I'm sorry. The question again. Just well, I mean, so like, was he an entrepreneur? Is that like, I mean, kind of going down the path? So. Is that like where you feel like you saw what your dad was doing, and that's kind of what drove you to want? Yes, very much so. In fact, at a young age, I remember Dad saying to me. You know, if you become a dentist, you'll always be able having to do all the job of your, yourself. But if you if you're able to run others and have have a company where other people are able to do the same job around you, you'll actually be able to run a company and you can actually grow and do more. And that probably is something that I had heard growing up at a, at a fairly young age, and and it's something I've reflected on, and it's definitely something that has made it uh, easier. I've obviously, obviously, I've done that to this day. And each step is a bit of a step. You know, you, when you're going from being the pilot and you're flying and you go into where you're running a group of pilots and then you're in more in the office and you're trying to get the work and then you're uh, getting other people to get the work and then you are each, each step is a little bit of a step when you step out of the business and it's interesting. And there's little hurdles along the way where the, the financial side, you're concerned about covering all the costs and then it seems to work out and then the time goes by and and you're making another step and it seems like that for many people so you i mean so right now where you're at today uh and we'll get to kind of where chinook is and and how you started chinook but like what when you first got your instructor rating were you working for another company or were you immediately like i'm gonna run my own yeah i actually i was working for my dad when i first in 97 but it wasn't very long after up in pg uh no this is actually in the lower mainland here okay so you guys moved from prince george down to lower mainland and set up yes it was only a couple of years uh, when i was quite a bit younger when i was in prince george okay but um this is when um my dad had lost a lot of interest in the helicopter company itself and so i went to the bank took out a mortgage and loan and and bought him out and essentially, it was uh, two Bell 47 helicopters that were flying, and one was in spares at that time. So okay. that would have been in And can maybe, ex- maybe explain to us what spares is? <coughs> oh, helicopters that aren't necessarily flying <laughs> in pieces. <laughs> so it was, it was two and a half helicopters. 
And uh, I was primarily doing the flying with one other instructor, and my mother was helping out in the office, and we had one engineer that primarily did all of the maintenance on the aircraft. So this is like 98, 99? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, about 20 years ago. So you took over the business 20, was it Chinook, or did you rebrand to Chinook? Uh, I actually had a different company, Chinook Helicopters 1982 LTD. Okay. Which was, uh, there were some reasons, but anyway, that's, <laughs> that, I actually did have a separate company at that okay. time. Okay. So that, so yes. that was your company. And then when you, when yes. you took out the Morgan and Loan, it's like, boom, we're Chinook Helicopters 1982 LTD. That's correct. Yes. Okay. And, uh, and started really head down and doing a lot of the, the flight training myself. And I would say when we moved about 10, 11 years ago into the facility where we are now, all of a sudden as we grew in our facility, I guess it's, you know, build it and they will come, it, um, it all of a sudden my job changed where I needed to be much more invested in the office. And so that was a, that was a kind of a change, I think about 10 years ago. And then at 10, then probably two years after that, I decided that we had this larger facility. So how was I going to market that? So about 2013, I did the first trip to China and uh, it was 21 days, 41 meetings, 17 cities. <laughs> but a lot of information was, was learned and uh, I don't know if it actually was completely what I would call successful, but three, two years later, three years later, the company actually did double okay. in, in its size from that from that point on. So it seemed like the intention to do something more was more important than the actual of what we did. Sure, okay. It, it seemed like the intention was the important part. Right. So like, so you have, an, a, a, it seems, well, not seems, you know you have a big entrepreneurial spirit. Did anybody, like, what was the trip to China? Was this, That was just because you thought, oh, I need to expand and I got to get international? Well, I... Actually, told, before, before, yeah. we go, before we go there, how about we... Let's break down the business. Maybe kind of give us an overview of what Chinook is like today in 2019. How many employees? What's the facility look like? Okay. Well, today we have uh, about 40 employees. And we have uh, two separate uh, offices we work out of. Roughly each one of them are about 18,000 square feet each. So about, you know, under, a little under 40,000 square feet. And we have 25% of the market on the helicopter training for Canada. And we're quickly growing onto our fixed wing side of our business, which the fixed wing side is uh, we're booked about uh, almost a year in advance. So that's only really come about in the last two years. We're working on virtual reality in the background. We're trying to develop some uh, systems that will actually aid in our training. And uh, so we're looking at a lot of uh, growth in the future from technology-based training systems is what we're looking at. Yeah, so you so you have Chinook helicopters, Chinook aviation, mm-hmm. um, and then you have the VR AR component where you're trying to help for train. Like it's all around around yeah, training. It's a, and that business is actually real sim, and it's in a partnership with two other companies okay. that are in the tech side. But they but you do have them at the facility here mm-hmm. where they where you guys are you're developing the stuff in house. Yes, yes, that's an in house development to support the existing businesses of training that we do. How can you? Um, I mean, not to detract from talking about business but in, the, in terms of being a pilot in training like do they get is that simulation are the simulations really accurate well this has been the problem um 
you know, when I learned to fly, we had little desktop simulators, or we had very we had twenty million dollar simulators, and there was really nothing in between. Now, what's happening is with technology, we're getting a much greater uh, definition of the visuals, and and the the lower end is able to give much more support than it used to. And so almost every year that's going by, actually, the simulation is improving. What we're not seeing is a lot of change in our regulatory side as of this point, and whether we will. I, uh, but if nothing else, it really supports the, the training and what we do, uh, making it a better program. And actually, with all the numbers of all the shortages of pilots, both on the airplane and now coming up with the helicopter side, it's never been so important for us to do a better job because people are transitioning so quickly into different uh, jobs. And as the paying yeah. customer of the public, you want to have had us do a really good job. So like in terms of the simulations, like I, let's say I take a sim, I can do a lot of my course or I can do a lot of my training behind the simulation, but I absolutely have to get behind an actual Yes, plane. and at this point none of the regulations are reflecting any of the technology changes. Okay. So it's just, it is just like that extensive training. It doesn't mm -hmm. allow you to get ahead in some of your ground school or... At this point, it, from a private and a commercial point of view, whether it be airplane or helicopter training, it is not actually changing what that looks okay. like. It's, it's supporting it, but it's not changing. But with that entrepreneurial mindset, you see that that is an area that could be disruptive in the future, so Chinook should be at the forefront of that. Well, everybody, I've just come back from UN conversations about how we have to help our planet be more globally responsible, and of course we're, we're burning jet fuel when we do this. So if we can accomplish the same tasks without, with the safety of being in the simulation, without the, uh, the environmental problems, you can see that 20 years from now, I would say that very few people would argue that there won't be more simulation in our training. Right. Yeah, because there's stuff that people can do to get this, the, the processes down, checking the gauges. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the, what's happening is the price point is starting to fall into uh, where everybody can access this. Um, some of the things that are being already used in other industries are actually coming into the industry as well. <clears throat> One of them being is we're very excited is this <coughs> excuse me. We're both I mean we'll take a coughing break here because <coughs> I haven't tried to cough this whole time. <laughs> I was like, don't cough, don't okay. cough. She's on a roll. Okay. All right. We're very excited because uh, we're here at Abbotsford Airport and Conair Aviation is the largest uh, they do firefighting training company in the world. And they're bringing in simulation, and we will be working with them on the helicopter side, where we'll have multiple aircraft training on simulated fires. So when you're you see your cohort in the in the virtual reality environment, so it's really exciting what's ahead with our different training programs we can bring into this. And with like you know Oculus and all these other VR headsets, you might even get to a point where the haptic responses mm -hmm. will be there without even having to be in an actual simulation case. You have the gloves mm -hmm. and the visor on and it's a simulated world where if I grab, like I can feel like I'm grabbing the drag mm -hmm. and the pull's the same as it would be if you were behind an actual simulator possibly. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. So that's what we, we see the future going that way. Um, when you, okay, so let's take it back a little bit. So you, you took over the company, you had 
at that time when you took over, you had still only two and a half helicopters. That's great. Yes, so exactly. how did you start? Yes. To, when did you decide to get into aviation, and how did you? When did you buy more helicopters? Like, kind of walk us it's through. It's been fairly organic. I would say that uh, it, it really had just processed uh, the, the type change. I would say it was uh, 2007. So about 10 years later, we walked into a Robinson R-44. A couple of years became a dealer on that aircraft. Okay. Uh, there were some uh, turbine aircraft that got added in the... Uh, about 2003 or so. So so it was just a... a Gen- as businesses go as in, business, you add... Exactly, exactly. Probably the largest uh, change has been actually about two and a half years ago when the airplane model got added. And in Canada, there's, uh, there's very few companies that have both. Right. Uh, I would say that there may be two others that are actually, in a fairly small way, are, are actually doing on the airplane and training, on the helicopter training. Right. One of the reasons is you have different people and you have different uh, mindset. And sometimes in, in it, many industries that are closely related to people on the outside, it seems they're very similar. But when you're in the industry, they actually different. tend to have different yeah. mindsets. As an example, if I go to a social and it's a helicopter-related social, I usually don't talk about airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> and if I go to an airplane social, I don't bring up helicopters. Right, you're, you, and you have the ability to kind of jump between both of them. I do, do, I do, because I have flown both of them. And are most helicopter the pilots in my life. Uh, like fixed wing pilots as well? No, most are not. Okay. Uh, I would say less than ten percent of people that get their helicopter license have any experience on airplanes. Is it easier to get your uh, fixed wing license than it is to get your helicopter license? Uh, easier. In terms of coordination, the airplane's a little bit less uh, challenging on the coordination okay. than the, the helicopter. The helicopter has a bunch of sticks. Every like, hand is busy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but an airplane, you're just, you can flick a couple buttons and then you're just, you grab an actual wheel. Like, I don't... Yeah, the airplane is, is uh, still has coordination, especially on the takeoff and landing phase I, I understand flight. you have to be very yeah. uh, unbiased here since you do both. So I can't completely... <laughs> well, and people will say, what do you prefer? And I say, well, if I'm going to fly to California, I'd prefer an airplane because it's faster and smoother. But if I'm going to go land up on the top of a mountain with snow on it, I'd much rather be in a helicopter. So it, you know, everything has its purpose and everything has its, and I find too, the people that go into one or the other are generally a little bit different. And sometimes people will ask me, which what I should do with my life and and I'll say you know a lot of it is your personality do you like small towns or do you like big towns do you like uh, being the only one in control of the aircraft or do you do you work well with a group of people like those all factor into the decisions in terms of like I mean Chinook you said you own 25 percent of the market in Canada that's correct or North America in Canada Canada yes what about for the aviation side there's is there more flight schools Uh, for aviation there's a lot more on the on the fixed wing side yes so looking looking at the Chinook brand you're Mm -hmm. you're leveraging the fact that not only do you have a great reputation for helicopters promoting the aviation side I mean you said earlier you're booked a year out 
That's correct. So you can't. Like right now, it's like, well, hey, we know that we have a year's worth of work ahead of yes, us. Yes, yes. Uh, if you want to, and you just built a brand new facility, and yes. to already be booked a year out, that's a huge, it's a huge thing. Well, it's part of the market, too. The market is incredible worldwide. I have never seen the need for for airplane pilots around the world right now okay and it's partly because asia woke up um decided that the middle class wanted to start flying they started ordering airplanes and it has created demand worldwide okay so that's that's really a lot of the driver of this of the economics right now so when you want to say you're drinking almost from a fire hose in Mm -hmm. terms of the amount of people looking for what take us back to 97 or even early 2000s how did you get this is still, again, pre-social media. I mean, and, and really, it wasn't until recent that you guys were, became a really active online anyways. It's been primarily it has, word of mouth. It and has primarily been word of mouth. And that is how the business operates. And truly, with all of the media and hype, <laughs> we're still word of mouth. Right. So how do, you, like, how do you grow? You go to conferences. You talk at other areas. Like how... To early 2000s, how did you get new students coming through the door? I would say that it's experienced staff that are closely aligned with the industry has has been actually how we've always done in our brand it hasn't changed and and having people that have worked themselves in the business and have a good reputations tends to draw people that are interested in the business uh, to the organization right okay so like when i'm 2002 are you in the yellow pages? Is that how yes. people? Okay, so, <laughs> that's how people, so, that's, so that's how people. Flight school, helicopter, <laughs> Chinook. I'll take Chinook. Um, and then it's and then I mean obviously, the advantages of the internet and being able to produce media at scale allows people overseas to see stuff, and then they can do their due diligence. To yes, that is very true. And we have found the trade commissioner service in Canada to be helpful on our overseas uh, type of. Uh, you know, um, customers. Um, I would say that the trip in 2013 led to several different trips. Actually, India would have been about a year and a half ago. I attended and was at a conference there. I ended up actually speaking on a panel. And um, we now have actually, and it always takes time, we now have three people booked from that same area, um, you know, having done having done our homework at that time. And because it's not necessarily a thing, you could go and talk to a group of people and then expect an influx in registration the next month. Like it's it's a the price point, maybe break down the price point for if I want to be a pilot, a fixed wing pilot, how much am I looking at to get my license and then yeah. How long does it take? And then same with the helicopters. Well, the same. Uh, actually, right now, both of them, I've always said it costs about the same as a Corvette. Okay. <laughs> and it, that was that way in 1990. It was that way in 19... You know, okay, so it's just adjusted like, as... It, it okay. really just adjusts. And so if you look at that right now, I just Googled that the other day. It's 72000 <laughs> And that is around where you are. Uh, you can do a license for as little as about 60000 on both. And you can pay as much as about eighty to 90000 Again, do you want all the options? What is it you're right, trying to accomplish? Right. So, if you were to budget somewhere around about the seventy to eighty thousand, you would be in the ballpark of what you were what you were training on either. And aircraft. that's and that's to be a commercial. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I guess we should mention that that's com- like that's to become a working commercial that's right, pilot. Right. If I wanted to get my a private license, private license for fixed wings, it's yeah, not probably as much. about twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. So then yeah. it's a lot. 
and then I can just fly at leisure. That's right. You can't necessarily do that as a helicopter pilot. Can you, you can. And okay. it's probably about forty, forty-five thousand okay. or so to achieve the license. However, the challenge is usually that there aren't very many aircraft to lease afterward or not lease but rent and, and so you usually have to buy your own. Do you so find people kind of going in on the same type of... Sometimes. Okay. Yes. like We have people that will buy aircraft and then have partnerships in the aircraft. Okay. We actually have quite a strong contingent of private aircraft right now. I just was at the Girls Fly 2 on this weekend and seven of the aircraft that participated were private aircraft that were aircraft that had been people who had done their licenses and we know them here at the airport through their training and their ownership of helicopters. And so Girls Fly 2 is like a, as a girls-only event? Yes. <laughs> Maybe you can kind of explain it to us? Uh, yeah. One of the one of the girls here that trained actually a few quite a few years ago now was uh, Kirsten Brazier. She's gone on to head the event, and her goal has been to get women in seats of aircraft so that they have interest later on. One of the challenges we're having throughout the aviation business is there's a shortage of airline uh, pilots, there's a shortage of ATC uh, tower personnel, there's a shortage of engineers, there avionics, it doesn't, it's across the board. And people of either sex aren't necessarily choosing aviation as something that they're looking to go into. And so I think it's just trying to highlight as a, as a career option. I think that's right. the main point and, and to make it available for women. and. Aviation has, I used to say to my mom when I was in my 20s, I used to say that, great, this is a great job, mom, because it doesn't matter what I look like. <laughs> I can do the, as long as I can do the job, it's not contingent on on my keeping my youth or, or right. waistline or what have you. It, right. it's, it's health-based, but it's not, it is based on your skill. Yeah. And so because it's skill-based, there isn't a glass ceiling. Right. I mean, I guess in terms of like, you know, being the first female instructor in Canada. And actually, if you look at it, I mean, North America, do you know what the stat is in North America? I don't offhand, no. I will, I will fact check that for us <laughs> uh, afterwards. <laughs> the United States has always been leading because there's been more people, uh, more access to funds and, and just generally. So so the United States has been ahead of Canada in those numbers always. Is that one of the badges that, I mean, and obviously you rightfully rightfully so it's a proud badge to carry but what other what are some of the other things that if you were to look at your resume of things that you've accomplished does that sit up there as like number one or is there something else that you feel like you know what this was a good achievement uh to be very completely honest is i never was that worried about it and it's only been in the last three years that anyone thinks it's cool <laughs> really yeah yeah how, how, how come um i don't know i guess that Right now, politically, uh, women are very politically moving ahead, being noticed. Right. And, and and any business person, you know, you get your, your quick elevator speech with any one of the, the MPs or MLAs that you meet. And I was in London last year, and I had the opportunity to meet one of the MPs out of Ottawa. And I gave my elevator speech. The only thing he remembered was first Canadian instructor helicopter. The dinner, the night, the still at that wow. night. So I realized that was something that you know was retained, and, yep. and so you go with it. But at the same time, 
I have never really put out a lot of energy on that, um, but in the last few years, it's very popular. I mean, as a, as a woman, uh, a leader yes. uh, in, in an industry that's predominantly male, yes, it's a, it's a massive achievement. I think, obviously, you want to look at it and be like, well, I want people to appreciate my skill and, my, exactly. and me being a business person versus a business woman. Exactly. So completely get why that's never been on your radar. I, I think, do you have a lot of females... Uh, or other women in business who are asking you for mentorship? Have you kind of got down that path? Is that something you want to do? I don't know. Truly, I've had a lot of help from women in different industries that are a little bit older and more mature in their own businesses that have actually given me a hand. And I don't think I've ever identified myself as someone who necessarily is high enough along the path to do that. Although in the the last few years, uh, certainly with some of the uh, the women that we have here and, and, and you know, giving them backing and, and mentoring. And, um, you know, if someone is, is wanting mentorship, I'd be more than happy to do it. Right. But sometimes in yourself, you never feel that you have, <laughs> you have that you can help someone. Right. You feel that you're always needing it from other people ahead of you. Yeah, I think, I think though, there's a lot, there's a lot to say about, like, if, do you feel, I mean, and just with talking to you over the last, uh, over the last few years, that head down mentality, yes. do the, doing the work, being professional, getting, you know, being the best at like, you don't want to be third best <laughs> in training. You want to be the best in training. You want to have the best procedures. You want to fly the safest. Like, what kind of mentality do you and Chinook, the brand, believe? Well, lead? the challenge is um, on a personal level and in the group of everyone wants to do the best job possible, but nobody wants to put their head up and say, we are the best because. It's very, especially in this business, um, safety is something is the most highest priority at any given time. But at the same problem, the same thing, things do happen, and you're always trying to mitigate that. So by standing up and and being belligerent about it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, it's not something that we do as a company. We try right. to let other people make their decision of the job that we're doing. And right. uh, we try our hardest to do our best. Right. And we're leaving it at that. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, in, ter- in terms of like building your team up, obviously you, 12 years old, you wrote your first shareholders agreement. <laughs> uh, but in terms of like, you know, what, what have you done over the years to help grow yourself in business have you taken business courses have you just learned a lot on the job well I had a lady walk into my I would say in my early 40s I sort of started to be the goals that I had set out in my 20s I had probably reached as a pilot for experience as what I wanted the business to look like and that's before the time I went to China. I, I did have someone from a lady who runs a company called Grow Your Biz. She walked in and she said, okay, are you, are you setting new goals? And I said, well, you know, I'm sort of happy with how things are. And she said, well, you know, you really should set some more goals. And so it didn't take long before I went, oh, yeah, you know, that's, a, that's great. And this feels good to go along and have new goals. And it sort of re-energizes the, the, the company, it re-energizes me, and, and anyone who's had a company for a number of years, it needs to look different because you need to stay engaged. And that, for me, was really important. Um, those business group, sort of peer, one-to-one peer groups, did actually help just to see where different people were at. And I've always been a little bit like a greyhound running after a rabbit. You know, you put one down and away I go. So it helped to have other people in different industries to talk to. Right. And then you can steal the things or... 
adapt or adopt, I guess I shouldn't say, yeah. so, adopt the things that you liked. Exactly. Or that can apply to your business because obviously we like to look at every single business as being unique, but at the same time, you have to, you're doing a transaction, you're, you're pulling people into your business, you're creating a transaction, yes. you need people to help facilitate that transaction. So at the core of it, it still is a business, you know. That's right. Um, one, one of the things that I wanted to one of the things I wanted to ask was like, you know, in terms of like a routine, do you have like a, uh, like a daily routine that you do? Um, like now, I mean, now before it was different, you probably would come into the office and it hasn't changed a lot. I like to ideally go and talk to everybody that I can. Okay. I really enjoy that to get a, I, I actually do enjoy it. <laughs> see where everyone's at, see what uh, the issues are, see what's going well, see what's going poorly and see what needs to be changed. And I, I actually enjoy doing that. So you talk to all of your, all Not of every your day. people. Not every day, but like in a week, you, yes. you try to have a touch point yes. with every single person. Yes. yes, exactly. Do you have like an open door policy? That Absolutely. People... Okay. Yes. And yes. then do, do you have like a number two that you really rely on? Like you, like... What's happened is that we've morphed to, uh, you know, someone that's in charge of the maintenance. And uh, I guess direct reports, and, and that yep. has that's worked out really well. Because you can't manage all forty people, right? You, I realize that probably one person can look after about ten. That's right. that's my little yeah. <laughs> idea of how it seems to work. Right. Yeah. And you probably at your at your level, you probably only want to have like three to four at, eventually as you're growing. Yeah. Right now, I think there's about seven people that sort of are direct reports. So right. that that's still working out okay. And in turn, like, what are the things that you're most interested on in when you look at the business? like you know as a as a leader you're you probably care about everything but at the same time there's stuff that you probably enjoy working on more than the other i probably enjoy uh the international learning about different countries and what we have to do to align ourselves to work with them i also am really enjoying the uh the sort of creation of new systems that we can put in place that not only this company can do better but actually i want the whole of of our industry to do better. I took on the chair position for the Helicopter Association of Canada this year. Congratulations. And uh, and really what I would like to see is all work together to be better and actually provide a better product so that it become, we become more exporters too with our product. Right. And I mean, maybe kind of give our listeners uh, or viewers, if they're watching this, <laughs> um, kind of some context in terms of like what... What does flying in BC look like and why are people gravitated towards flying out in BC? Well, especially on the helicopter side with our mountains and our, our type of topography that we have, it really is excellent. It mirrors probably some of the most difficult conditions in the world. Right now we've had countries such as Bhutan and Nepal coming to us because they're obviously in countries that have, uh, you know, the largest mountains in the world. Right. So, the mountain flying aspect, certainly on the helicopter side, is very, very strong. On the airplane, it's a great experience. Some people feel if they're in uh, Florida or places like that, that they'll be able to have uninterrupted flights. But at the same time, from the experience point of view, we, we live in a very good place for that. Right. And so when you get, is it usually the same when people fly around here for the first time? They, they're kind of awestruck at the mountain ranges and the areas that you take them to? Well, if they don't have anything to compare, they don't really notice it. Sure. It, it actually, more so with more experienced pilots that actually okay. notice the topography that we have. Okay. Yeah. New people, I don't Whatever. Really know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know what, I, and, you know, I've, 
been on top of mountains via helicopters yes. a lot. Um, and I didn't know a lot of the, like until you're there and you're in it and then you you hear the pilots talking about like why mountain flying is different and how you can't approach like landing on top of a mountain is 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 challenging maybe you can kind of just give us like a brief context like airflow and why is when i'm teaching i usually tell people to imagine air is just like being in a river and if you watch how the water backs up on on rocks and where it flows faster between certain areas where it has a different venturi effect so if you if you watch a river it will give you a very good idea of what air is doing around the mountains and as you can see there's a lot of turbulence in the river especially depending on the speed and the height and the rocks and what have you and the mountain flying is very much that way and right. so the skill level that you sometimes need uh, black rocks can make more heating differential and so it can create differences so your variations you do have to be aware and have good situational awareness in that environment um, do you like why like when you're looking at hiring an employee and let's talk like I want kind of want to ask a couple like leader employee kind of questions when you're looking to hire somebody to your team are there like check boxes that you guys have so that that that, that person's the right fit how do you go about I would assume that hiring an actual instructor is different than hiring someone that would work on your marketing team or your mm-hmm. sales team or your your admin team yes uh, on the instructor side you obviously want someone who's already proven themselves in the industry as being competent at what they do. Certain so, amount of hours. Yes. So skill and experience is, is something that you know has to work, <clears throat> and then you have to have the um, do they do they work with the team, and then it does take a special you know certain person that to teach people. It's not a skill set yeah. that everybody that does it is a great pilot is a great instructor. And you have to sort of, I think, get over yourself and, <laughs> and want to teach the person next to you and care about the person next to you. And you can have great skills, but the other person that's about their education, not about how great you fly. Right. Yeah, you're putting them... So it's personality you're them in. Okay. Is, is very huge. Do you find that, like, so how much instructing are you doing now? Like, how many in-class sessions? I'm not doing a lot. I'm testing both on the airplane and helicopter. Okay, so you still get behind and you f- go uh, up with them? Or? Yeah, yesterday I went out and did auto rotations. But on and yesterday happened to be teaching an instructor person. Okay. So it wasn't a... Do you find that you're trying to teach more, like, more high-level like that? Like, people... We're going for like an instructor rating, or you know, it doesn't matter. Many many owners will tell you this: whatever needs to be done. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, it really is that. I guess too, though, like okay, for you know, we chat about this. Will the camera was off just about working inside the business for versus working on the business. I guess as a helicopter pilot or a pilot in general, you still need to work inside the business and fly to keep your the currency. What's about it? Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, it is, it's, it's always a bit of a, you know, uh, and, and you have to s- scale. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you have to hand off things if you're not current with it. Right. So it, it is a juggling act. There is. There is a little bit of that. There's, there's legality of how current you have to be to do okay. the job, too. So you have to maintain your, your legal requirements. But there's also a how do you feel about it. And truly, some days are different than other days. There's some days that I've been asked to go out to do a flight, and I've said, my head is not in it. It's, it's something I'm going to say no. It used to be easier for me to uh, walk out and forget everything, but sometimes it is harder to take things, leave them behind. 
Yeah, and and that's like with the amount of things that can go wrong with flying, like you can, you have to be. You able have to be able to completely think about what is going on in the cockpit. Now that's a, also a challenge, probably as the leader of your organization, because you have a million other things that could be on that's your mind. That's right. Yes, that's right. So you maybe an employee's having a bad day, and that conversation that you had that morning yes. is really affecting. Yes. You. Yeah. You really do have to sort of reach in yourself and go, okay, you know, and, and a lot of things to do with that. You know, have you, have you eaten? Have you slept? Have you, has it been a fight with someone or is it just busy? Is it, what is the flight itself? What's the weather? There's a myriad of things that go into that decision. So, right. um, but, and, and you sort of have to do a little bit of a, have a meeting with yourself. Okay. <laughs> Actually, the fellow that I was telling you about, the mentor, the, uh, Andy Rowe, that was his his term, was you have to sit down and have a meeting with yourself okay. sometimes. And, and, and what do you say to yourself in, in, a, in a context like that? Uh, maybe you're asking yourself if you can put things aside and, and do a proper job. Or if you, uh, if you, and you have to be able to say, no, it's it's not going to work. And, and know that that's okay. Right. I mean, any type of mental exercises that you do, not really. I think you just try to make sure that you can clear your head, I guess. That's right. the best way to put it. And you right. can be focused on the task at hand. Right. I mean, and I guess at the same time, too, like sometimes like weather can affect yes. a flight anyways, too. Yes. Like how do you – like when someone shows up, when you have students and they're set to fly that day, mm-hmm. you know, what do you guys do if you can't fly because of the weather? Maybe uh, often, often we do studies with them in a classroom setting if they can't fly that day. And that's one thing about teaching is generally the instructor can control the outcome of the lesson much actually easier than a charter flight because a charter flight, the customer is controlling the outcome of the flight. Okay. Well, they, they're they not, but <laughs> they, they, think they, they, they can yeah. <laughs> in some ways because uh, the determination of where you're going and what is happening is usually the lays with the customer's financial outlay of what he needs sure. to do. So there's obviously pressure there. On the instructing, although there's pressure, it's it's not the same. And uh, that is one aspect of the business that makes it easier than some of the charter outfits have to have to do. Right. Um, when when you when you see students come in, like do you view it as like those are my students? Like they came through, they yeah, they're, they're part I of the Chinook family. I think yeah, there's that uh, people are more than just students, they're friends. They become people you've gotten to know and you know them. In fact, you know that that is what I missed most in my role right now in the business is actually I like knowing how many siblings someone has and where they grew up. I um, I like people and I actually like to know lots about them. Right. And actually, I probably miss more than anything flying directly in a cockpit next to someone, getting to know them better. Because you get to bond, you get That's to forge right. that relationship with them. That's right. I mean, you, you if you look at, uh, if you were to have like a trophy shelf of like successful pilots who've gone, gone through your school to gone on, like yes. you, you have some of the top pilots in Canada have come through Chinook. Um, yes, and, and, and people are, <coughs> yeah... I don't even know how to answer that. Well, I, was, exactly. I guess I, you know what. I'm not, sorry, <laughs> I had to cough. Um, because you, because Chinook's reputation is so good, I, like people call you and ask, "Who's your best student? I want to hire." Like they're there. Yes, are you the and first? increasingly with our market right now, we're having more of that. 
because people are moving up faster, they're needing pilots, and we're having more than we ever have, we're having alliances from companies that do want to align themselves so that they can ensure that they, they sort of, and I don't look at it as the best pick, because sometimes I find that it's, Flying is one aspect of somebody, but it's their people skills, it's where they want to live, it's, it's are they a good fit for the company as well. Right, so when you're looking at a student who's coming out, you're not necessarily saying, okay, this guy, is the na- this guy or girl mm-hmm. has a natural, this pilot, mm-hmm. let's call them pilots because that's what they are, this pilot has natural ability, they're great behind the stick, they have great precision, they're pretty wooden, they're not personable, they have yes. the talent, but they're probably not going to succeed. So you, you also probably know that Someone who might not be the best in class behind the stick or the wheel. Do you call it the wheel in the, in the it's fixing? A, it's called, well, it's an elevator or control column. We'll, control we'll column, okay. On the airplane. Um, you're also saying this person's a good human being. They're very professional. They, yes. would, get, they would go great with your organization. Yes. And they're just, they're going to learn on the job. They're going to get those hours because mm-hmm. it's all about getting those hours. So their skill set will, they're good, they're good enough. Mm-hmm. Can you say someone's good enough uh, to yes. be a pilot? A lot of companies will call up and say, I don't want your stars because stars burn out. Right. I actually want people that are holistically engaged in what they're doing. And uh, yeah, the skill of just, uh, sometimes people feel it's just about the flying and that's really not what it's just about. In fact, one of the instructors we had uh, used to be a chief pilot. And so before people would walk in for an interview, he'd throw a magazine on the floor and he would see who would pick it up. And he would do that to dirty the office so that he would see the cleanliness if it bothered the person or if they would pick up the item off of his floor. So, you know, it's that has nothing to do with the skill of the flying. That has that's a that's noticing and doing something about it skill. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything any types of any type of moves that you do that with uh, in kids or employees? No, you know what I really like to ask people. I've gotten to this habit in the last couple of years, especially as I don't know some of the students as well. Is on their when I usually do the paperwork when they leave, I like to ask them where they see themselves in five years. And I find that really gives me a lot of information as to their goals, what they're thinking. It's, it, I find it gives me a lot of information actually asking them just that, is where they want to be in five years. And it's a long enough time period that they're not just seeing, okay, you know, in three months, six months, or what have you, but it, overall where they want to be. And, uh, and it's probably something that I've taken away from some of the different courses I've been on, too, is where do you want to be in five years? Five years is, is, is throwing spaghetti at the wall, but if you don't know, you'll never get there. Okay, this is a perfect segue for to end the and end off our nice little chat. Um, where do you want to be in five years? Well, in five years, I really am seeing that we will have a lot more of a component of uh, training on the, I guess, simulation side. It'll be integrated into our program. I believe that we'll be doing a lot more military as well as civilian training. Uh, and working with uh, more countries than we are today. So I guess the same of what we're doing, but increasing our our footprint and our growth, as well as um, uh, more working with OEMs and and that side of our business. So it still feels very organic in in, in how you're saying, because these (laughs) things are coming to you. Have you actively pursued some of these opportunities? Like you went to China? Yes, I have. I have actively pursued, but not at the 
risk of of changing the direction. Right. And uh, and it's good that you say that to me because it makes me. <laughs> I do have a five year plan, but you know, everyone, you don't know exactly where you'll go to get there. Yeah, and you know what? I think obviously, as as someone who is painting the vision for your organization, yes. you know, you letting people know that this is where we're headed towards. Yes. We're not there right now, but this is where we're going. Yes. Um, do you find that people get a sense of pride of that, knowing that they're going to be an internet, like you're going to be an international brand? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, but I don't know. I don't know. I think so. Um, I lie. That's not my last question. I know we got to wrap up here. Um, but in terms of how you're set up, you have, I mean, we could talk about why you set, set up a maintenance, like maintenance and mm-hmm. like maintenance is a big thing for you as an internal organization or do you, is it, was it, it a, is another business opportunity? Uh, internally. And then what we've tried to do is take care of the customers that we've already had, mostly on the private okay. market. So uh yeah that's really been what we what we why we set up the maintenance yeah and maybe people I and mean, people don't know that you like why is maintenance an important thing for helicopters and airplanes well when we do our own maintenance we can control the timelines and we can control the quality that we do and uh, it actually makes it much more efficient and if you're talking about organic growth everything that you're subbing out you usually try to take back and so i guess it's a very natural part of just trying to actually facilitate our own growth to doing our own things for ourselves how, how okay so the helicopter pilots and fixed wing pilots and then maintenance and That's then admin. so you got like almost four different divisions in a sense in a sense yes how do you keep that bond between them all do you guys do work retreats like what are some of the things that you've Uh, had fairly casual i think we've been doing some summer socials and christmas parties i don't think anything terribly unusual although that comes up a little bit more now actually surprised me the other day someone came up and said oh i haven't met so-and-so on the other side so that's probably on our in our Strategic planning to right, do more right. of. Because um, as you get bigger, still it still is fairly small. We're still everyone knows everyone, and we do hold company meetings. Although the company meetings are tending to be airplane and helicopter related, okay. and only some people are crossing back and forth. So it's inclusion of, of more annual meetings with everybody included. Right. Yeah, and do you find that like, I mean, I guess be, because of the industry. You, do you see a churn in terms of the employees? Like, or they get this and they're like, oh, I got a, I got a good job here. I don't need to leave after two years. Like, I mean, there's a big thing about millennials job, hunt, job hopping every two years. Do you find that similar to what? Well, the reason that it's hard to actually answer that question is because we have such a wide variety. So now you're talking about the airplane and the helicopter industry. And now we're talking about our oldest instructor, 72. And our youngest instructor would probably be 21. So wow. now we're talking about different generations, sure. different Wants. types. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a really challenging question for me to answer. If I was to specifically say this age group, then yes, they want to, to go through to do something else. But then on a different age group, they're worried about their medical. Right, of course, <laughs> of course. So it, 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 it it's, uh, depends on the individual. So we were, the interesting thing is we were just about to end and we got into this great conversation and you're just talking about like how people view flight training. Kim, let's just start there. Okay, well, flight training has always been the lower end of the market because it's always been small little helicopters and they've always been the cheapest helicopters in order to do the business. So flight training has always been 
the, the leftover, the non-cool, the side of the business. Right. And I think it hit home for me one day when I was in a Bell 47 and I was talking to a fellow logging on the side of a hill in a huge helicopter. And we compared how many flight hours we'd already done that day. And I realized I would be home that night in my nice, comfortable bed, and he would be in a logging camp that night. So I realized that, for me, I, I kind of enjoyed what I was doing uh, from a lifestyle point of view. And um, on, the, on the flip side, which we'd been sort of talking about uh, when we were just talking here offside, I knew very early on that I would never be in the boys club, whatever that club looked like. And so I think that it has caused me to sort of create my own club, if you will, <laughs> right. and, and just do my own thing and do it completely differently. And so this, this business is a result of me actually doing my own thing and, uh, and doing what I want to do in some ways for myself and my own goals. And it hasn't necessarily been following the crowd or following what everyone else is doing because I really didn't fit in. I mean, and you're not looking at it in terms of like a setback. You actually embrace the fact that you're not going to belong. So why even try? That's right. Exactly. I, in fact, I've been different all my life. So I embrace being odd and different <laughs> and I try to just um, create my own world around me. Now, the flip side of it, though, because you're in a predominantly male industry, like mm -hmm. male driven industry, like the helicopter industry, um, you're the respect that everybody in the industry has for you and your brand now transcends that. Like they look, they, even though if you're not invited into their club, you are now regarded as like the top. Well, I think it's, it's a lot of time in the business and I've always surrounded myself with people who are well regarded. And, and I have recognized that um, it's very important to who you surround yourself with to be recognized. Yeah, and at your, at your size, you need a team of great people working. That's right. You. And you know, it was the same when there was two. It's the same when it's 10. It's the same when it's 40. You need a team. You actually do. And there's an expression that says you have to have the right people on the bus. And I completely believe if the bus has two seats or it has 100, that is absolutely the case. Um, and you mentioned that you or starting your own club is it like a group <laughs> like how do I apply for the group <laughs> well um, let's see you you start here and you are full-time social media how's that sound excellent done <laughs> um, I mean I guess in terms of like what you're what you're building as well too like you you mentioned that we were we were talking about disruption and, and, and trailblazing in a sense as stupid of those two as, to, as those two words sound um, but you you were getting into the fact that like anybody in business that has a unique view on a certain subject or uh, perspective or just yes. doing something different is who you want to almost be involved with. It, it's not true. necessarily aviation. Is it just business in general? Yeah, I tend to uh, walk down many paths, take a look and see if there's something there before I retreat. I tend to not uh, uh, make a decision too quickly. I tend to um, maybe some people say long-suffering, but <laughs> no, I tend to be open-minded and I tend to try to try everything on and then make a decision after I've, I have all the information. I mean, Kathy, we could chat for a, a long time. I know you're a very, very busy uh, woman. Um, 
thank you so much for taking the time well, to chat. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate, uh, I just appreciate that you're interested and, and uh, appreciate, yeah, everybody's support. Right. All right. Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. okay have a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah.